Let's all stand together at this time. We're going to be looking at a message today I call the Reign of Grace. It actually began Friday night with our Good Friday service where we talked about the reign of sin and the reign of grace. And uh, took looked at the reign of sin on Friday to this morning. We're going to be looking at the reign of grace. Romans chapter 5 verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Our text on this Easter Sunday morning today is all a part of Paul's discussion of the reign of sin and the reign of, de- of grace. We consider the first of these uh, already, and uh, yet uh, there'll be a lot of things I have to say about that reign of sin this morning uh, because you really don't understand the awful but yet glorious fact of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ unless you understand the truth about the reign of sin. Paul presents these two, sin and grace, as sovereign rulers reigning over humanity. Every person in this building today and everyone watching uh, the live feed at home, every one of you are either under the reign of sin or under the reign of grace. The reigns of sin and grace are not reigns of sin and grace are not presented by way of similarity, uh, but by way of contrast. They are similar in the fact that uh, both of them came through one man. The reign of sin came by the one man, and that referred to Adam. The reign of grace then came by one man, and that refers to Jesus Christ. But everything else about the two reigns are different. They are different in their effects. The reign of sin and of grace then are looked about uh, these two rulers, and we have to learn about this. It is so dominated by death, this reign of sin, that it's often simply referred to as the reign of death. And we saw this in chapter verse 14 of the same chapter. Death reigned, death reigned. And even the most casual observer in our world today, all you have to do is just look around. And you'll still see the reign of death, as it's called here. One writer said that death has a 100% success rate. One out of one dies. The same quick glance around at our world today would easily show that sin is still reigning. The darkness is deepening, the danger is increasing, the depravity is rising, and people are, of course, still dying. The darkness and the depravity no longer lurks in the shadows and the corners of the world, but it's burst forth to become mainstream, acceptable, in some cases even preferable. It all gives evidence then to the continuing reign of sin. So the continuing reign of death is is around us everywhere. People are still dying. The continuing reign of sin is evidenced by the darkness and depravity, the hatred that is going on that so fills our world. Uh, Those who question the reign of sin today are increasingly the subject of ridicule, even violence. To refer to... Uh, behaviors as sinful and depraved is to face charges of a hate crime in many countries. No doubt it may be a hate crime in the United States someday, maybe sooner than later. 
And yet still everywhere is the hatred, the violence, the murder and death, lawlessness, not only permitted in our country these days, but in some cases even encouraged by people on both sides of the political spectrum. Humanity is boiling under the reign of sin. And sooner rather than later, it is going to boil over. And in fact, it's already doing so, but not anything like it's going to. The same Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the Romans so long ago was well familiar with the reign of sin and of death. He knew about it. He himself had lived once under its rule while believing that he was righteous in doing so. He believed this so strongly, even though he was lost, even though he was a religious person, but he was still lost. And he believed that he was right. He believed that he was righteous. He believed that he was serving God. And he described that to a group of Jews in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 22. He said, I am, de- I am indeed a Jew born in Tarshish of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way, that is the Christian way. I persecuted the name of Jesus to death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. You see, Paul was not just convinced that he was right. Paul was not just convinced that he was right with God. Paul was convinced that he was doing God's will as he deprived people of their lives and of their liberty. When he tried to enforce by force then what was at its core this reign of sin that he's talking about. This philosophy of embracing force is increasingly embraced in our world today by the defenders of the reign of sin and of death. Listen, we need to understand the reign of sin and death is not just going to stop. It's not just going to go away. It's not going to go quietly in the, into the darkness. It's not going to roll over and play dead like a possum. The, this, uh, this reign of sin is just not going to quit. It continues. And all you have to do is look at the spectacle of Jesus beaten beyond almost recognition, bloodied, And crucified. You see that image of Jesus Christ. And you see what the reign of sin did to the one who was bringing in the reign of grace. The reign of sin has not changed its opinion after all these many centuries about the reign of grace. It still stands in stark opposition to it. It still is trying to demand allegiance to its own way. The reign of sin. It was obvious in ancient Rome. It's obvious in modern America. And yet this passage boldly declares the reign of grace. A reign that is available to deliver many from the tyrannical rule of sin. Remember Romans 5.18 says, Therefore as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Put this down plainly and and simply this morning. The reign of grace comes to us only through Jesus Christ. There is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. This reign of grace is offered to all men. The Bible's very clear about it. It is available to all men. But the reign of grace does not apply to all men, but to many. 
It is, as we will see, applicable only to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can be under the reign of grace. Oh, I hope you are under the reign of grace. And if you're not under the reign of grace, I hope you will bow the knee and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior right now this morning. So we'll discuss this reign of grace and what it means and and how it applies to us this morning. First of all, notice the establishment of this reign of grace. And in order to see that, we back up a few verses to Romans chapter 4 and verse 24. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. This shows us, you see, how the reign of grace was established through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, we are told that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death. So that when Paul talks about through the obedience of one man, that one man was Jesus Christ. How obedient was he? He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That means Jesus Christ had never sinned. He didn't die. The reign of sin and of death never once touched him. He did not die because of his own sin. He died for your sin. He died for my sin. And so his death, burial, and resurrection is all spoken of as that obedience of one by which the many can be made righteous. He expands his discussion then in verse 8 as he said, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son." Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, as long as we are under the reign of sin, we are enemies of God. We may not think of it that way. But just pause for a moment to remember how deceptive that reign of sin really is. There was Paul the apostle using himself as exhibit A because he himself was once under that rule. And so hostile, so alienated from the work of Jesus Christ. So hostile toward what Jesus was doing in the lives of people. But Jesus took our sin. He took that to the cross. He took our death. He took that to the grave. And he was raised back to life then in righteousness so that the reign of sin was broken by Jesus Christ. But still, the writer of the book of Hebrews gives us this. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet, not yet, all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us that everything was made subject to Jesus Christ. The the reign of sin and of death was subjected to him. But we don't see that yet. The reality of it is there, but we don't see it yet. The reign of grace, you see, is a reign of grace. 
It is not forced on anybody. Obviously, there are people all over this world who are living under the reign of sin and of death, masquerading that behind a reign of freedom. They think they're living the way they want to live, doing what they want to do, not allowing anybody to tell me what to do. But it's an illusion. You're living under the reign of sin. But one day, this sinful rebellion is going to be judged and subdued. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 23, we're given this, but each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Paul said it in Philippians chapter 2, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. You see, Jesus is going to enforce this rule. He will overcome all the other reigns. That is going to happen. But it's not yet. Those who live their lives in rebellion and die in that rebellion against God, they still will bow at Jesus' feet someday. But it won't be to put themselves under the reign of grace. It will be to admit their sinfulness to admit their rejection and to face the certainty of eternity in a place called hell. Nobody, you see, has ever been, nobody ever will be forced into the reign of grace. You must accept it. You must submit to it. That's the only way. Jesus came preaching the gospel of repentance to repent, he said, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That simply means to turn from our sin and to turn to Jesus Christ. And you can experience that today. And though you are under the reign of sin, you can bow that knee to Jesus Christ, understanding that he died in your place, that his death was counted as your death, that his righteousness then can become your righteousness, and he'll give you everlasting life. And that reign of sin will be replaced in you by the reign of grace. That's how the reign of grace was established. Uh, let's talk about its nature. What is this reign of grace exactly? Paul gave us that too. Verse 17, for if one man's offense, if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that expression, reign in life by one Jesus Christ. I bring this up to you this morning because American Christianity has been greatly influenced over the last uh, 45, 50 years or so by a dumbed-down and distorted version of the gospel of Jesus Christ as if somehow then that we reign with Christ gives us the authority to speak out whatever we want to and whatever we want, of course, in America is mostly wealth and health and happiness. And that the gospel then was all about giving us and including us in this reign. Don't be fooled. This is so prevalent in America today that we even call it the health and wealth gospel. And the saddest thing about it all is we have spread this thing literally around the world. 
But Jesus Christ did not die for something as mundane as making us wealthy. What good would that do us after we're dead? What good would that do us in heaven? No, Jesus died for something else. He died so that we could have eternal life. And through that eternal life, then, that would reign in this life. That's, uh, that's what it's all about. Paul wrote extensively about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And he talked about how we are pressed down, but we're not crushed. Pressed, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. What was he saying? He was telling us what we all know. Life has a remarkable way of pressing us down. We experience those times of great, great pressure. And yet because of the living God who lives in us, because we are under the reign of grace then, that pressure does not get the last word. We're not crushed by it. I might be a person in that's perplexed. I might go through a time where I really don't know what to do. And I really can't see exactly any way that I'm going to get out of this. I don't know how it's going to work out. We're perplexed. We don't know what the future is going to hold. But even though life may put us in a situation where we don't know what's coming, praise God, we know the one who does know what's coming. And so we're maybe perplexed, but we're not perplexed to the point of being in despair. Life may sometimes bring persecution. I don't have to explain that to you. We all know what that is. We don't know it like Paul knew it, but we know it. But even though we're persecuted, and one of the saddest features of persecution is the loneliness it brings. Paul knew that too. We can almost hear the anguish in his cry as he said, only Luke is with me. Everybody has forsaken me. Persecution does that to you. It leaves you languishing, feeling all alone as friends back away. When you become the object of scorn and ridicule all around, when you become the object, when you become a target, people have a tendency of pulling away. But Paul was here to remind us that because of Jesus Christ, because we are under the reign of grace, what that means is that even when we're persecuted, Jesus Christ is still with us. And we find out then that Jesus is enough. Amen? And Jesus is enough. We're persecuted but we're not forsaken. We might be struck down. I'm not going to say that they never knocked me down. Paul said. <laughs> but we're not destroyed. Does it seem like that Paul is describing some difficulties that come along with the reign of grace? Have I mentioned to you yet this morning that the reign of grace doesn't just slip away? It doesn't go quietly, or the reign of sin doesn't go quietly into the night. It doesn't just give up and lay down. Have I mentioned that to you? So that even though we're under the reign of grace, we're still living in a world that's under the reign of sin. And by the way, that world contains more people than it ever has before. And more people then are under the reign of sin. And so Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4 and 11, excuse me, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. 
You see, the nature of the reign of grace is it's not just for wealth. It's not just for health. It's not just for our happiness. It's much bigger than that. The reign of grace gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ that reigns in our life now so that we have a principle, an overruling, a reigning principle in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives that then can be manifested to others so that under the reign of grace, though sin may abound, grace doth much more abound. Where pressures abound, the reign of grace doth much more abound. Where our failures may come. Yeah, but our failures don't win. Because grace doth much more abound. And so we have the establishment of the reign of grace. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it comes then into our life as we receive him as our Savior. We see the nature of that reign of grace. So that it's not just about making us happy or making us wealthy. Then we'll see its application Verse 24 of Romans chapter 4. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up, our, up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith. One man's obedience. One man's righteousness then becomes our righteousness by faith. One man's obedience becomes our obedience by faith. Human logic would have never come up with that kind of a system. Uh, first of all, because humanity really doesn't recognize that their problem is sin. Uh, again, we, we think we're free. We think we're living the way that we want to live. People say things like, my body, my choice. People say, it's my life to live the way I want it. People say, I'm not going to let the pages of some dusty book written by old white men tell me what to do and how to live my life. I hear that more and more. I'm free. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. Remember, we're either under the reign of grace or we're under the reign of sin. And so since humanity does not see sin as its problem, humanity would never see salvation as its solution. So I'll take you back again to Philippians chapter 2, that God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The reign of grace is a reign of grace. It's not going to be forced on anybody. The reign of grace comes as we submit to Jesus Christ, as we bow the knee to his reign. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to come and establish his kingdom, that he will live and reign and rule upon this earth for a thousand years. And if you're a believer in Christ in this service today, you're going to live and reign with him. Amen. Isn't that a great thing to look forward to? We're going to live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. And yet the Bible says after a thousand years is ended in Revelation chapter 20. You can read that for yourself, not right now, but Revelation 20. You can go and read it for yourself. 
And after that thousand-year reign is finished with Jesus Christ on the earth living and reigning and his people living and reigning with him, at the end of that thousand-year reign, the devil is going to be unleashed for just a little season. And the Bible says he'll gather an army of people like the sand of the sea. And there's no other conclusion but that these people would live under the reign of Jesus Christ in this world and yet still not bow the knee to him. I say again, the reign of grace is not forced on anybody. And that even during Jesus' millennial reign, people are going to have to believe on Jesus Christ and receive him as their Savior And many won't. This reign of grace then is all about who you bow the knee to and when. If we keep going in chapter 6, the discussion of the reign of sin and the reign of grace goes on. And Paul will describe the the reign of grace in Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. And he's talking to people who are under that reign, who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior. And yet he says in verse 12, Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lust. And so writing to save people, believing people, he still says, don't let sin reign. Don't put yourself back under the reign of sin. He'll go on, Romans 6, 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you're the one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. You see, when we become a believer in Christ, we are set free from that law of sin, the law of grace, uh, which is greater than all of our sin. A greater reign replaces then the reign of sin. And what that does for us is it enables us, it empowers us to do righteous things, to, to do things that please God. When we're under the reign of sin, we're not capable of pleasing God. When we're under the reign of sin, we might even do religious type things, but that doesn't mean that God is going to accept them. Under the reign of sin, we can do nothing that is pleasing unto God or acceptable by God. But when we are under the reign of grace, everything changes. Now the Holy Spirit of God lives in us. Now we can please God. Now we can live in a way uh, that God would call righteous and acceptable. Now we can do those things that are in line with the original intent when God created us. The reign of grace then comes to us as we bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And it continues as we live in the reign of the grace to obey God. But he warns us. That old man that the Bible calls the flesh is still around. And that old man, if you'll let it, will put itself right back under the reign of sin. I want to be quick to tell you this morning that as a believer in Christ, if you put yourself back under the reign of sin, that doesn't mean that you're back under the reign of death, that you're going to die and go to hell, or that you've lost your salvation. The Bible does not teach that anywhere. It doesn't teach it anywhere. 
But I'll tell you what it does mean. It means that as a believer in Christ, though I am under the reign of grace, I can let this flesh reign over my life so that I submit to it and its desires once again. And though it's not going to take away my salvation, listen to me this morning, it will take away my joy. It will take away the joy of our salvation. It will take away our peace, uh, with our sense of being at peace with God. It will take away our ability to serve God effectively, to be a testimony for Jesus Christ. And the place that it hits us the hardest and the worst is in the place where people know us the best, in our own home, in our own families, around those closest to us. They see, you see, that we've submitted ourselves, we've presented ourselves again as slaves to, to sin. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. Jesus Christ has set you free from the reign of sin. Become then the slave of righteousness. Every person in this building today understands that battle. From me as the pastor right on down to everybody else, we all fight that same battle. And though we are under the reign of grace, the reign of sin is still very real. It's all around us, and it's as close to us as our physical bodies. But the reign of grace means that we never have to submit to that reign of sin. This is all over the New Testament. Paul would warn the churches at Galatia to stand fast in the liberty with which Christ has made them free. Got a few things for you today, and we'll wrap this up. The reign of sin has been broken by Jesus Christ, who took our sin and death to the cross and to the grave and emerged victorious. When men and women, boys and girls, recognize that they're under the reign of sin and turn in repentance to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that is how we bow the knee to heaven's king, and that is how that reign of grace becomes operational in our life. The reign of sin continues today in humanity in an unprecedented number of people as more and more people all the time refuse Jesus Christ, reject Jesus Christ, want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Did I mention that the reign of sin is just not going to go quietly away? Multitudes of people all over this planet, growing numbers of them, Submitting themselves, living in submission to the reign of sin. Kidding themselves into believing that they're free. Refusing to submit to the reign of grace. And even as believers, we still must choose whether we're going to live under the reign of grace or let flesh pull us back to the reign of sin. And that means today that there's Two things that everybody in this building has to make a decision about. Two things that we're going to choose. We'll choose one or the other. And for some of us, um, maybe today, some people here, maybe some watching from home, maybe it's your time to choose that reign of grace, to bow your knee to Jesus Christ and receive him as your Savior. And that's one thing. You'll either do that or you'll reject him. But maybe that reign of grace 
to you today means something different. You say, well, Brother Rich, I've, I've been saved for a long, long time. I was saved when I was young. I was saved when I was a child. I, I, I've been saved for many years. But you know, as you look in your life, maybe you'd have to say today, I've been bowing my knee way too much to the reign of sin. I've been letting the flesh have its way way, way too much. And you know, it really doesn't matter what kind of excuse we give ourselves. I won't say you've got a reason for it. You've got an excuse. An excuse for not living for God. An excuse of why you got out of church. An excuse for, for, for why you're going your own way. Why you're letting the flesh do what it wants. You've got an excuse. I'll, I'll give you that. But that's all it is. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. And you do not have to bow your knee to the reign of sin anymore. And so for you, believer, I'm not asking you to be saved again. Again, the Bible doesn't teach that. But maybe today you need to bow your knee again to the reign of grace. Let the flesh rule your life too much and for too long. But I want you to know today that the same Father who loved you and it said, Jesus Christ had died on the cross. That same Father will welcome you back when you return to Him. And that same Jesus who died on the cross for your sins will welcome you back when once again you bow your knee to heaven's King. You ready to do that today? Reign of grace is not going to be forced on anybody. That's why it's a reign of grace. Will you submit to Him? Oh, the joy. Oh, the joy that comes when we bow the knee to the reign of grace. Let's stand together, please.